1: Hello and welcome to another episode of May Contain Traces of Soy, the podcast all about surviving and thriving on a plant-based, zero-waste lifestyle. I'm your host, Rochelle, and if you're new around here, hello, welcome to the podcast. So psyched to have you listening today. If you're a regular listener, welcome back, soybeans. Really appreciate you guys tuning in every single week. If you are new around here, you won't know this, but we do release episodes every single Saturday, Australian Easter Standard Time. They usually dropped by about 6 a.m. So if you're enjoying that, uh, if you're enjoying this, if you're enjoying that, if you're enjoying all of it, uh, head over and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. Uh, If you are enjoying it and you would like to support us, leaving a little rating or review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes is super helpful. Really helps to push the podcast up there so that more people see it and hopefully spread that non-judgmental vegan message. I'm so excited to bring this week's episode to you guys. This is the final in my series of Halloween special episodes, and this is an interview with a real honest to goodness witch. And you probably know her. Her name is Fiona Horn, and she is Australia's most famous witch. She has previously been vegan, she is now vegetarian, but she offers lots of wonderful tips in this interview for how to be an eco-friendly witch, how to adapt your practice how to veganize some of the witchcraft. And we have just a good old chat as well. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. And here it is. Well, firstly, I just want to say thank you so much for agreeing to come on and being so giving of your time today and uh, doing the podcast with me. I really appreciate it. It's really good to have you here. For our listeners out there, you probably know Fiona from one of her many projects that she's done Fiona has been a journalist, a TV presenter, a musician, an author, she's a pilot, she's one of the most well-known Australian witches, and she's been lovely enough to give a little bit of her time to the podcast today, and we really appreciate it, so thank you for being here. Um, I'm
2: honoured, thank you for inviting me.
1: (laughs) I just appreciate that you're chatting with me. This is a very big moment for me, Um, my listeners won't know this, but I was very into your work when I was a teenager, especially. And I think there were so many young women at that age, because I was a teenager in the early 2000s, who really identified with the message that you're putting out there. And I've heard you talk about it before, but you really put out a much more positive message about witchcraft and paganism than a lot of other authors did. A lot of them took a very dogmatic approach. And I felt like your approach was very empowered and focused a lot on positivity. So I really appreciated that. Thank you.
2: I appreciate you saying that. And I, I also hope, Oh, I think that possibly what was happening was uh, what I was offering was inclusive, you know, that it wasn't, uh, you know, it was recognizing the importance of the individual contribution of the witch. And um, it didn't always mean you had to do things in a very rigid and structured way where we're an evolving spiritual path. So I think, I think, you know, the reason I mentioned this is because no doubt you read that book, Life's a Witch, that came out back yeah. then, the Teen Witch book. And I've had the wonderful privilege of uh, reworking it. Um, and it's going to be re-released in uh, February next year. I literally just finished it. But I've pretty much rewritten the whole thing. I mean, originally my publishers now were like, we could re-release it. The rights reverted to me. So my new publisher said uh we could re-release it. And yeah, you know, just, just update it a bit. But you don't need to do too much to it. You know, but once I dived into it, I realized I had to rewrite massive amounts of it and add huge new sections about social media, about the internet. There was no social media when that book came out. Yeah. So the impact that all that has had um, on young people's lives and the uh, evolution of the modern witch, the phenomenon of the social media witch, hashtag witches of Instagram, hashtag Aussie witches of Instagram, my God, you know, it's yeah. like, so the book has, has been uh, radically reworked, but its heart is still the same, that we find our spiritual uh, home in nature and that um the individual witch makes an important um statement every time she walks her path as uh, part of the collective magical community so that message is still there yeah um, do you want to see what the cover looks like i'd love I to can show you oh that would be um, amazing excuse me i'm i'm actually in my bedroom and i'm mid-tour i'm sitting literally in my pyjama i'm still COVID <laughs> pajama panting whenever i can best thing about covid we all get to wear pyjamas all the time, but not it. that I need to be. I just couldn't give it up, you know. Like after I got <laughs> used to wearing pajamas all day, every day, you know. Like how could I give it up? Let yeah. me see. Um, sit down on the boxes, books. Yeah, I've got books everywhere. Like because with these events I'm doing, I'm obviously yes,
1: because uh, you're doing all of the live readings for yeah. the Art of Witch, and that's yeah. Know, there's so much
2: going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been up and down. Um, it's all kicked off now. At the time of us talking in this moment, um, had my first event of the art of which west west australia tour i guess and uh this weekend it's um as as that time of chatting with you it's uh where am i I'm going to be mandra and uh Fremantle. and then there's um oh, no. mount Hawthorne and then a huge women's event that's happening over the Sowen. well it's actually the beltane weekend but halloween mm. you know yeah as far as the commercial festival weekend so it's going to be massive this is what i have i'm just going to show you through the plastic i was trying to open it
1: Can you see that or
2: is it too reflecting? That's beautiful. No,
1: I can see it. I love it. I'm going to actually
2: tap on the screen. There you go now. So that's the new cover. It's kind of reflecting my altar there. Can you see? Yeah, I can. My altar is reflected because I'm sitting in front of my altar full of all my foraged and fossicked things. But anyway, that's the new cover.
1: Oh, that looks amazing. So it's
2: Teen Magic. I don't know if that's going to be backwards. I guess it is. Teen Magic uh, Witchcraft for a New Generation. So it's literally... um, been radically reworked and
1: yeah and with social media as you were saying i mean there has been Mm. a real kind of an evolution of communities being able to connect more and that has spread into the pagan communities but i think it's Mm. also brought women to a new place a heightened place of awareness in social justice and in feminism Mm. and it's been amazing absolutely there's so
2: so much good stuff in in that and i think you know the the challenges i've addressed in the book are more to do where um you know, there is that, uh, the, how would I say this is, I think a really nice way of potentially summing it up, um, is that, and someone actually said this to me the other day on a radio show I was on, but they, they offered that, you know, witchcraft was once a a safe place for the freaks and the outcasts. (laughs) So we could kind of just, you know, come in and be our weird selves and it was all good. And now it's become this very, you know beautified almost gentrified thing that we're like out there and proud and it's all about but it's all about you know the appearances because Mm. the you know the phenomenon of the of the uh the selfie you know which didn't exist all those years ago and the phenomenon of self um promotion is just it's become performative in a way it's and yes exactly and Mm. so in that sense how do um how do uh you know today's teen witches or or individuals drawn to a magical way of living navigate that and how do they avoid the pitfalls and uh still celebrate themselves share their magical souls align Mm. themselves with other like-minded souls or like souled people and and not fall prey to uh the you know inherent insecurities and fear-based behavior and attitudes that can evolve from from this kind of you know kind of environment of social yeah. media so so it's, it's it's an interesting um and conundrum I have plenty of tips in the book <laughs> and it, and I'm I, but I do think it's a wonderful time to be a witch you know we are more connected and more I, I honestly think that there is more of a celebration happening within our magical community where we you know we understand our strength lies in our diversity and honoring the individual parts it's not mm. about You know, one way, or you're not a real witch, or you've got to be initiated into a coven, or you're not a real witch, or you've got to have this particular tool or implement, or you're not a real witch. It's like all that is kind of dispersing, and I think there's a great explosion of creativity in our craft that I think is essential to its its uh, ongoing relevance in the spiritual framework of humanity. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, it's a it's a it's a great time to be a witch. Great time to be a teen witch. Great time to be a grown up, which not that we ever really want to grow up, but you know what I'm
1: saying? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, I think that as well, it's an interesting time for, um, like we were saying before, feminism, but I think there's such an interesting connection between paganism and witchcraft and feminism because they've actually done studies and found that most women who identify as feminists either have had a strong interest in the occult at some point or are still Mm. practicing some element of paganism now because we so strongly identify with that embracing personal power and being comfortable owning that as a woman.
2: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, in these days of, you know, and this is something I addressed in the new book a lot too, you know, gender is now, um, I mean, it's, it's evolving the concept mm. of gender. So, you know, I was very careful in, in, in the new book to identify, to say, you know, those who identify as women, those yes. who identify as men, um, It you know, but in, in witchcraft, we honour the the divine feminine, and that is not exclusively for any no. you know gender oriented body. It's it is the essence of um, that that omnipresence essence of creation. You know that's what I've always kind of understood in the sense with um, with how the goddess as an archetype is a metaphor as a real divine presence that I've had tangible communication with in my reality, according to my understanding, the goddess is, is, is in all things at all times. And the God comes and goes. And, you know, mm. and that's even reflected in the the wheel of the year, like, uh, of, um, the witch's story. It's like the, the, the goddess is omnipresent. She, she's maiden mother crone. She goes through her cycles, mm. but the the God lives as her son dies as her consort. It, it's like, it comes and goes, you know? So he lives and dies and he's kind of that active, you know, Yang principle going on. So I guess the point is um, how incredible we can ever have a discussion about this in the spiritual path. I was brought up Catholic and it was God's way of the highway and you had Mary, mother of God, long suffering, mother of God, who didn't even get to have sex and had a baby. And, you know, <laughs> and it's just, and then, you know, you stumble across the the, the pagan and, and uh, path and you understand that there's a divine natural, um, Core to what, what it is, and that is Mother Earth. And mm. then there is a goddess, and that can be identified as a divine feminine. And that's empowering, mm. not just for women or those who identify as women, but for everyone. I think it's healing for the masculine as well, because we've obviously lived in a dominantly patriarchal system for a long time, but that's really shifting and rapidly. Mm. And we're alive in a time that I think, I don't think any extreme is great. The pendulum is swinging, though. You know, yeah. I mean, I was even just thinking the other day. I don't watch TV, but, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, my partner and I'll watch Netflix at the end of the day, or, you know, not even Netflix. I don't know, whatever's on. I don't even want to advertise Netflix right now. I'm in question <laughs> about, their, about their ethics and principles. But anyway, um, in sitting there, I noticed a lot of ads for Disney movies and stuff and um, every single lead was a female, every her- It was no longer the hero. It was the hero, heroine. And yeah. I thought, well, that's just a really exciting um, dynamic thing to see, and uh, simplistic yeah. way of observing. It's very simple to observe that, but very different to when I was growing up. When all the hero- you know all the characters we looked up to were boys in ninety nine point nine percent of movies, and then there'd just be that one movie about that cool girl. And even mm-hmm. though she always uh, you know lost all this stuff for for the guy who broke her heart, there was still that you know whole old Romeo and Juliet play on love going on to you know disempower women. There was still a sense of wow well girls can do cool stuff yeah. and uh but, you know when I, i'm 54 now so back in my youth that was very rare extremely rare i had to really hunt it out and then i just had to decide to go and be it myself and make be my own role model, model and just yeah. you know try a lot of stuff which is what i did
1: no it's so fantastic and there have been so many different waves of feminism but the most recent one and the um, the expansion of our general understanding of gender and the exception of that as well. I'm so glad to hear that you're addressing that within your book, your mm. new redone, you know, yeah, book the new teen, the, teen yeah. magic book. Yeah, because yeah. there was actually um, some sex of witchcraft in the 1970s who famously turned trans women away because they felt that they were not women within, you know, couldn't be a part of their coven. And, and it's yeah, so that was an imbalance of that. energies. Yeah. Yeah.
2: There was, I think it came, you know, I, I talk about it in the new teen book, just saying that at the end of the day, we've got to remember that witchcraft is, has evolved from, you know, and I'm going to just, you know, generalize in a way, but just for the purposes of a quick conversation, say, we were kind of a, not fertility cult, but definitely venerated the procreative forces as we observed them, the early witches, you know, because we were clo- living close to the earth. So every, even every Sabbath relates to some kind of sowing of seed and reaping of crop. And there's this, mm. you know, there are definitely, you know, in, in some of the, you know, the original rituals of witchcraft, especially the init- initiated type coven rituals, um, you know, there's the chalice, which is the feminine, the blade, which is the masculine, Place the blade inside the chalice, conjoined, they are the forces that cre- shape all creation. I mean, I'm now quoting some initiatory witchcraft, you know, like, this is what you do in ritual to, mm. and to represent the great rite symbolically, the sacred yeah. union of man and woman, because that's what brings us, this physical form human, into being. And that's venerated as having a, a, a divine relevance. Um, however, I think that the craft is evolving to understand that that actually in of itself doesn't have to be gender specific, that the procreative forces of the universe are also not only the physical act. It's very important because we're honoring nature and nature is the physical form and we're in it and the air, earth, fire and water, the sacred elements we work with. But I think now more than ever, witchcraft is coming into that fifth element of spirit and the human role and the human role um, it isn't all about just popping out babies and breeding and giving more life in fact it would kind of be better if we slowed down on that as a human race to be honest yeah. um, and started looking at what else is essential to the procreative forces of life love compassion empathy service these are all our, these are our new blade and chalice stuff going on i mean how can we create a vibrant magical life if we are not going to acknowledge that you know that 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 is a core principle i mean we can acknowledge a core principle of the blade and the chalice in the symbolic way i'm I'm describing but what if we emphasized other aspects of our magical work and it wasn't all about you know what you give is so what you can take and it's and and soften it up and i even have talked about it in the art of which the book i'm touring at the moment um which is i guess of released books my most recent one that's the manifesto one i've done but i talk about in that you know we've got these this these statements that we just rifle off as witches um as is my will so mote it be i mean that said so much if you're doing witchcraft at a point it'll be in every book it'll it's been in every one of my books Mm. up until now now i've changed it to be as is my will being that will is part of the word willing so Mm. as as is my willingness to be useful to be of service to be placed where i can be of most use I leave it to you universe, divine forces. I'm casting the spell. I am, am putting intention into this, but I'm going to allow you to show me mm. how it comes true, you know, yeah. and, and invariably these spells when you, or, and rituals, when you work them from that perspective, if you have concerns, like you, you know, you've lost your job with COVID. Hey, that happened to me. I lost my flying job. No flying work for me anymore. I'm grounded big time and all the big airline pilots have swooped in and taken the jobs that little little people little pilots like me were doing because they lost all their jobs just, yeah. you know, so would I do a job for a new a, a spell or a ritual for a new job well what I would uh, be doing and have done in fact without giving too much away is rituals of gratitude for what I have to be asked to be placed where i can be useful and all of a sudden great momentum builds around this art of witch tour and all of a sudden i'm doing music again and all of a sudden the bloody newspaper's calling me wants to do a three-page photo shoot on me because they want to put me out there and i i just can see that the universe is placing me where i can be of most use yeah and that maybe is because a couple of the things i'm saying again now that i'm back in the public eye having thought that wasn't going to happen in life but it has i thought i was just going to fly airplanes and live in the Caribbean, do my service work, do my aid work, but also volunteer work, but also work and be paid as a professional pilot, which is what I've been doing for the last four years. But, um, you know, it's universe has decided I would be more useful doing stuff like this, like what's mm-hmm. going on now, having conversations with you. And, and, you know, if you can um, positively impact one person's life, well, that's good enough. You know, yeah. if, if it's more great, but Absolutely. once enough, you know, it's all enough if you come from that place of being willing to be of service,
1: Yeah, that's so true. I think it's so interesting that you talk about that intention and, you know, looking to the universe to be placed because I feel like there is such a huge overlap within the pagan community, the zero waste community and the vegan and vegetarian community because Mm. there's that common factor of living your life with intention, walking gently on the earth and embracing the power that you have personally to make change. And I think that's a really interesting combination of factors that bring those communities mm. together. What's your point of view on um, trying to be a more eco-friendly, which I heard in another podcast that you are writing a book about eco witchcraft is that right well
2: I, I, I said I probably should write a book about eco witchcraft ah. or even nomadic witchcraft because a dear friend of mine Michael Herkes who's the glam witch and he has incredible books and stories of his his journey as a witch so I'm, I'm giving him a plug because he's amazing the glam witch Michael Herkes but he said to me Fiona you should do a book about nomadic witchcraft because I'm always moving around and and that's not out of being like um like a vagrant per se, like, and just not having a base. I mean, I've always thought wherever I lay my head is home. I mean, I was in a touring rock band for the entire 90s and, uh, you know, whatever hotel room my head was on was home, you know, after seven years of touring. But my point is being nomadic in witchcraft, more relating to being minimalist. And, you know, I own very little. I, I, in fact, would go so far as to say, other than a few things like some items of clothing and my free diving gear and a few bits and pieces, I own nothing but my freedom and my happiness. So I seek to uh, tread lightly by not um, consuming more than I need. I tend to reuse, recycle. I rarely shop at new places. I tend to go to op shops or just trade or swap or just not have anything because I don't need it, you know, and Mm. just keep my life really simple. And that does speak for treading lightly on the earth. And then in having an intimate relationship with nature. I, I think that nature loves and senses that when we ad- adore her. So working ritual now, I work with foraged and fossicked t- items. So, I mean, like right here in front of me, I've got like shells and, you know, <laughs> rocks. <laughs>
0: mm. And,
2: you know, this is my new altar. There's, there's no at the maze here. There's no candles even. There's, there's collections of items and all these will go back because to the ocean, I've, I've humbly borrowed them. I use them, I put them back. It's, um, or I just do the ritual work on the beach and leave it there or in the forest or bush and leave it there and uh, let the animals interact with and let the magic work its way that way. And as far as eating and and consuming, uh, simple, clean foods growing a lot of foods. Now I'm actually based somewhere for a while where I can have a garden and grow vegetables and beautiful. um, and, you know, I'm making kombucha and make my own yogurt. I do, I'm vegetarian. So I was vegan for a long time, which was mm. no dairy, no, no honey. As far as wearing like, so now I'm vegetarian, I eat dairy, but it's only the butt is uh, uh, organically sourced local dairy products. And yeah. uh, just found it's what has it's been my body functions well with that. Everyone has their different things, but oh, I've just found and- when I, when I stepped away from dairy, and was exclusively coconut, soy, oat, cashew, you know, I actually uh, just find that I function better with some, you know, some dairy. I don't know why. It's just, just my body. I don't know. Maybe I'm German by blood, German, Hungarian. I don't know. Was I raised Was one of my ancestors raised on milk? I don't know, but it it, uh, resonates with me. And, um, and then honey, local honey, that's bees that are, you know, humanely, raised and cared for and the honey is ethically sourced and very sustainably so there's always plenty left in the hive and you know and only Mm. local because then it's
1: related to the well I mean I think if you know biosphere in yeah if more people even just adopted that attitude I have a friend who is still a meat eater but she only buys from ethical family farm you know and Mm -hmm. well I still don't think it's great like that's the thing is everyone has their own choice and their own path Mm. and whichever way we choose to, you know, approach this and choose to walk gently, however that is, that's a personal Mm. choice and it's personal preference. Absolutely. And I don't think anyone should ever judge other people for that. You know, I always think think that's a a a beautiful,
2: yeah. And I agree with you very much that it's very much about respecting other people's paths and journeys and rights. And I'm not going to say to anyone um, not to, you know, eat meat. However, um, I can tell you that I don't hang out with them a lot. I mean, I just, it's just the people around me tend to be very similar. And if they are um meat eaters, it's uh sure I can't even think of anyone right now I know <laughs> that I hang out with that <laughs> eats meat right now. Right now. But it's not it's not about that as much as it is about being aligned with the energies of the the food or the or your world so for Mm -hmm. example i would never judge anyone for eating meat and and in fact i recently like two years ago i ate some meat because i was in alaska and it was offered to me by the native alaskan community there and so i ate it out of respect i prayed to the soul of the animal that's Mm -hmm. all they eat up there it's middle we're in we're like on a frozen river in like there's no roads you just you know, and, and, and they eat moose, fish, moose, fish sticks. What was it? And there's another very unusual kind of thing. But what I was exposed to was moose and fish sticks. And what is very clear to me is, uh, if something like that happened, and and you had consumed animal flesh, then it seems very obvious to me that you would. And I do this when I have had interactions with consuming an animal in some way. I always thank it for its sacrifice. You know, I you know I thank you. You know, fish for your sacrifice. Um, as I eat you, uh, and your your life essence nourishes me. I promise to do my very best to live a good and useful life in honor of your sacrifice. Yeah. I never go anywhere near an animal product before I do that. Even when I'm pouring the milk into the bloody pot to make yogurt, um, <laughs> I'm thinking that. And I've even started thanking the plants too, because yeah. it's all about being aligned. You know, you sense it. It's like. I don't know if, if, um, if you've noticed this, but I I noticed that if I talk to plants, if I'm growing, if an apple tree is growing out in the backyard and I start talking to it and it's been sitting there frozen and I just keep going out and talking to it, a green leaf pops out, blossoms pop out this morning. I went and watered it again and talked to it again and said, you're looking so beautiful. I'm so excited (laughs) to see your beauty. I mean, and they just, they hear you and they respond. And that's what makes life magical too, is understanding that there's a, you know, the, the witch, is one of the biggest things I think that we would all agree is witches, magical people, is the the idea of life is a transformative art, a transformative mm. act. You know, we're transforming things. You know, and so I definitely think that uh, being aligned with the transformative energies of nature, as it li- as it is birthed, lives, and dies around us, is um, very much it, it very much enhances your witchcraft,
1: and yes. it's a big part of it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think as well on the point you were talking about before when you were in Alaska and that was what they, mm. what they ate, I think it's very mm. important for a lot of vegans to acknowledge the position of privilege from which they operate. And I think a lot of them don't do oh, that. You know, you. so That's so true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're a vegan, then you have the education, you have the money, you have the access to choose that particular path. And oh. if you are in someone else's culture... I think it is respectful mm. to, you know, uh, do what they are doing in that instance. Mm. When in Rome. And in
2: those instances, wear fur because otherwise you will freeze to death. Yeah. If you get, if I'm, I was given a, 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 a hat that was made of animal fur, I wore it. Yeah, it was minus 40, It was <laughs> minus 40 degrees. And this is what I was told would keep me warm and stop me from A, um, being a liability to the group because I would be freezing to death in front of everyone. It would be a big hassle to call mm-hmm. in an air a- ambulance and whisk me out. Um, so I, d- I just did what I was told respectfully. Yeah. And all the white white people that live where I was all just do what the native Alaskans do. It's, it's, it, it just is what it is. Yeah. You know, exactly. you have yeah, to. Absolutely.
1: So yeah. And
2: it's um, I loved it. It was an amazing journey there to experience that way of life. It's probably not something I could, Live in forever um to be honest i just i'm really more of a sun summer beach ocean free diver (laughs) yeah i'm more out there in the ocean than than in the snow but it was fascinating to experience Mm. that and i think it's a a beautiful privilege and we should always honor the people of the land that they've evolved from and how they co cohabitate with it and that you know as far as being there was a, a privilege period i was vegan um i was raw vegan even better and that's because the time I was able to be raw vegan with absolute, um, consistency, I was living in Los Angeles. It was very trendy. I did this huge TV show and I was living in this, this house as a part of the TV show and we were fed it. And you know, it was like dehydrated bread was $14 for bloody three slices, but Hey, TV company was paying for it. I got to be raw vegan. Then when I came out and continued my raw veganism, my diet changed dramatically to, um, cashews uh greens i mean all the fancy stuff went away i couldn't afford it, yeah. it was so expensive you know mm. so but i think now raw veganism has become much more um user-friendly for people that isn't isn't so driven from a position of privilege you can actually you know do it consistently you just got to be careful um to nourish yourself as you need to be nourished um, yeah, I think I that's found, the only
1: thing with raw veganism is that difficulty mm, and that you're going to miss out on some of those more complex carbohydrates because mm, there isn't a lot of that available within that diet. So you, it's a I, balancing I was living act. on
2: lentils. Yeah, mm. I was living on lentils and rice, nuts, um and some of my other um vegan friends would who weren't raw would eat uh, potato chips, you know. Um hot p- cooked potato chips fries. That's yeah. not healthy. No, it's vegan. Well, I mean, because of the oil that was in everything, but it's not healthy. So you got to just yeah. everything is, you know, needs to be addressed in its in that way too. And I um, but I do think it's wonderful that the world there's a, there's just this wave of awakening where we are really conscious of how we're impacting the planet, how we yeah. impact the creatures of the planet. I I don't know if you've seen David Attenborough's. Yeah. T- I mean, what. What an, I mean, look, goosebumps, you know, like, I mean, I what a, an extraordinary film, what an extraordinary uh, summation of how we can plant-based diet. Thank you.
1: You yeah. know, let's all do
2: that. Let's, and you know, have you watched um, Kiss the Dirt? The the other one that's no, out. No, um, but
1: I, I really want to see that one next. So yeah. good.
2: I love it when these, there are these opportunities to watch films that actually have offer tangible solutions that individuals can take steps right now, even yeah. if it's just about, eating meat only once a week yeah. and the rest of the week you do plant-based diet. Awesome work. Nice work. You know, like exactly. everything adds up. Every, Every little, little thing makes up.
1: a difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why yeah. I'm so, you might be looking at yeah. that
2: new leather belt and going, Hmm, I might buy the new leather belt. Or you might go, you know what? That animal suffered. I maybe don't want to really deal with that energy right now. I might just go with the pleather or, but that's not very environmentally friendly because it's plastic. So maybe I'll go to an op shop and I'll reduce the demand for consumer and I will buy some pre-used item that's really, really cool because, hey, it's way cooler to shop in op shops anyway. You get way cooler shit. And just start letting the big manufacturers know that the demand is drying up by exercising the power of your consumer dollar and not just buying stuff, you know, without thinking about it. And every little thing you do makes a difference. And as conscious witches, it's as conscious vegetarian vegans, uh, you know, that is where... I think so much of the of the the importance of why we are the way we are right now on the planet. We're obviously going through some pretty extraordinary times, yeah. and um, all these little uh, all these steps can yeah can really just make a huge difference. And the more we can detach from the the mainstream of um, life, like getting sucked, getting lured into this idea that we have to consume, therefore we exist, and that we need the big cities to. Uh, have some kind of meaning and purpose if we can start to move away from big cities decentralize come back into smaller communities grow, start growing our own food you know lighten the load of humanity because um in so many ways the way it's been uh developed up until this point is um it's not sustained it just isn't sustainable and that's what's happening so yeah but yeah just kind of stepping back i, I love where i'm living now i mean, it's a sort of a, you know a smaller area i'm on mainland australia i've been on a small island in the caribbean for seven years now i'm on the biggest island in the world australia (laughs) and but in a small community and and there's a lot of like organic farming and and you know self-sustainable kind of ways of living here and i i'm very grateful that the universe steered me here through a sequence of extraordinary events but um that's conversation for another time, <laughs> but it has yes. allowed me the, the lovely privilege of just yeah, having a garden again and growing some of my own food and just getting back to living mm. close to the earth like that again.
1: It's wonderful to be in that place where you can live close to the earth. We're in an apartment block, mm. but we're growing um, herbs and, you know, regrowing stuff from scraps because beautiful. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I am aware of the time. So I'm just going to throw one more question at you. Yes. um, And then we'll let you get to your massage because you definitely deserve it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But I just wanted to know if you had a few tips for our witches out there, our vegan witches, our zero waste witches. There can be a lot of stuff within um, spell work, especially that can be Mm. animal derived but I yes. know that you feel that a lot of it comes from a lot of the spell work that you do really does require that intention. So mm. what would be your best tips for veganizing some spells that would require um, animal products, say some feathers or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- thank you. Um, to,
2: to think about, say, for example, you mentioned a feather. So to veganize witchcraft and you're using a feather and let's just say you're using a feather because it's representative of the element of air. Cause usually that's why feathers come in. They represent the element of air. It's to give something wings to take flight, creative inspiration. It's, you know, the feather is symbolic in spell working for that. Like 90% of the time. So think about what else represents air. And straight away, you could go, okay, well, instead of using a feather, I'm going to use incense. And I actually offer that in all my books. I say if you want to represent the element of air on your altar, you could have incense, a stick of incense. You cook because the smoke you're mm. moving will, will give you a visual representation of air. I do say a feather, but it's or a feather. So you don't yeah. need to use a feather. You can use. So, you know, if, for veganizing witchcraft, and I love, love that you've suggested this, it's uh, thinking about, well, what is the animal part um, what is it representing? So say I've suggested at times to use snake skin. Okay. Shed snake skin from a snake. They've shed it and you can use it to be symbolic of rebirth. It can also mean uh, it could be used in spells for prosperity, um, because it's the shedding of skin and and sort of new opportunities. So it can allow new things to develop, IE new job, new wealth, new this, new that. So instead of using snake skin, which is shed of, the snake which is representative of the ancient goddess you'd think what else represents the ancient goddess okay which goddess am i talking about first and foremost maybe i'm just talking a generalization of the goddess so maybe what i would do instead of using snake skin to represent the regenerative per- per- processes of life as pertaining to the ancient goddess i may use the image of a pregnant woman irrespective of what gender you're identifying as but you might decide for this ritual you're going to venerate the procreative forces as in a woman who is embodying the maiden aspect of the the ancient goddess. And so the maiden then in that case, in giving birth, it's like that shedding of one life to give new life. You know, the baby has left the life it knows in the womb. And we all die twice in life. We die when we leave the womb because we end one world, one life, and we're born into another. So that Mm. in a sense is the shedding of the snake skin. I mean, as I extrapolate, conjecturalize here, it's like, you know, you can see how you can get creative as a witch and start thinking, well, what does it mean? Why am I using it? What else could substitute? And that is where witchcraft gets really, really powerful because that's when your intention really starts to fuel it rather than just going, Oh, um, this spell requires a white candle, red feather. I can't use a feather. Um, Oh, well, Oh, Fiona said incense. All right. I'm going to put some incense, incense, um, and you don't think much more about it. Mm. It's not going to be as powerful as when you really get into "Well, why is this this way? And, you know, and,
1: what could i use instead yeah but i am aware of the time so i'm gonna say goodbye rochelle thanks for having me thank you so much (laughs) for um... being on and also you're um you're doing your tour at the moment art of the witch spoken word tour in wa and um we will definitely drop a link in the show notes so that you guys can go check that out and the new book the art of the witch yes thank you for being on thanks rochelle that was fiona horn telling us about her newest book art of witch which she is touring at the moment around Western Australia. Hopefully she'll get out here sometime soon. We would love to have her here in sunny Queensland. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. It was so fantastic to do and to talk with her. And I think there was a lot of value there for you guys. Um, You can find information about Fiona's newest book in the show notes. You can also find a link to her website and her social media. So definitely go check that out there. And as always, you can find um, all of our links to our social media and whatnot in those show notes as well. So head over to Instagram, follow me, follow Fiona, head over to Facebook and Twitter and do the same. Definitely go check out the book and we will catch you in a week.